The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode is brought to you by Zola. So as you guys know, Zola is the way to go when it comes to the wedding registry and the wedding planning process. Trust me, this is totally a thing because over 300,000 couples have used Zola. So basically, Zola Registry is everything you love about your favorite department store. Plus, it includes things like honeymoon funds, fitness classes, wine subscriptions, yes please, and so many different creative ideas. We even did a donation to charity. They have over 500 top brands, tons of experiences, like I said, donations to charities, and even cash funds. For our wedding, I didn't want to hassle our guests, so Zola took all the hassle out of it. It kind of makes the whole situation seamless for everyone. It's a win-win. To sign up with Zola and receive a $50 credit towards your registry, go to Zola.com skinny. Again, that's Zola.com skinny. Stock this site. You will love it, especially if you're a bride. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Aha. Welcome back, guys, to the Skinny Confidential, him and her show. This week, we have Tracy Denunzio on the show, and Tracy is the founder and CEO of Tradesy. I'm sure you guys have all heard of it. If you haven't, Tradesy is the world's leading peer-to-peer marketplace for women's fashion. On this episode, we discuss how to start a business with minimal resources, bootstrapping, that famous startup term, pitching investors, and eventually raising capital if you need it, what it takes to be an entrepreneur, building up mental muscles to deal with failure and rejection, and taking feedback, the good, the bad, the ugly, in the right way. For those of you who are new to the show, I am Michael Bostick. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and business operator. I specialize in brand development and business growth. Over the last 10 years, I have developed, helped to develop, and manage brands and businesses in a variety of spaces. Most recently, the co-founder of Dear Media, a new kind of podcast company with an emphasis on female hosts and voices. Dear Media will place women, their stories, and narratives at the forefront of conversation. I like it. And I'm Lauren Everts. I'm Michael's better half. I don't know. Well, I only have one right answer to that. Yes. <laughs> okay. I created the Skinny Confidential as a blog eight years ago now. I was attending San Diego State. I was bartending, teaching Pilates and Pure Rar, and just bored, unfulfilled, and wanted to create a space for women on the internet and bring together a community. It's really cool now to watch all of that come to life. The Skinny Confidential is a YouTube channel, a podcast, like I said, a community and a book, which is available on Amazon. So... What's been going on? A little slow Sunday for you, huh? A little slow Sunday. Yeah, I'm... catching up on Monday. You know, a lot of a lot of you guys know we record these episodes. Um, you know, we batch them up because we get busy. So we batch up a bunch of episodes, and then we'll go back the day before they're released and record the introduction so that we can, you know, give a little fire introduction. Well, we want to keep it fresh and we want to stay relevant. Yeah, you know, I mean, we don't. We did this interview a couple of weeks back, which is not too far back, but you don't want to come in. And be like, remember Christmas last year? You know? <laughs> so we always come in and do a little update. Uh, and sometimes, you know, Mondays are, are tough. Yeah, we had a nice weekend this weekend. We hung out with each other. We uh, did a conference yesterday um, or more like a brunch. I got to meet a bunch of you guys. And tomorrow we are going to the movies, like me and you guys, 
75 of us are going to drink rosé, eat popcorn, and see the movie Fifty Shades of Grey. I couldn't tell if you were just like crazy there for a second, like talking about your, like there's 75 of you personally. Like you, like, but for me, when I'm sitting here listening to you, you just sound like a like a psychopath. You're like all 75 of us, which <laughs> wouldn't surprise me because you do have about 75 personalities. Um, I feel like it's 80 after this weekend. You know what? That's how I spent my Sunday. So obviously we're building out the studio up in Dermedia, up, up in LA. It's going to be an amazing studio. Top notch, top of the line. Gorgeous. A lot um, of bright light for Instagram too. But right now I've been splitting my time, San Diego, LA. I'm probably going to have to be up in LA a lot more, which I know you're fired up about. Um, less time in San Diego, which is going to, you know, you're going to have to deal with it. But my Sunday was spent driving up at 1030 at night last night to LA so that I could be there for meetings all day today. With the bare naked cucumber in the car. With bare naked cucumber, who, for those of you who don't know who he is, Taylor, he's been working. He, go back to some old episodes. He pissed himself at our wedding and went to a strip club and then proceeded to do like a whole lap dance situation. So yeah, he was up there because he's looking at some of the, the tech stuff. Um, but anyways, so then we I had meetings up there and then uh, came back today, got back at six and then did some bunch of stuff down here and now doing this podcast intro at... 11.30. An night. autobiography by Michael Bostick. It's a lot, guys. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot out there in the life of a podcaster. <laughs> so tomorrow we get to see a movie. I'm forcing Michael to go. Um, you know what, though? No. Um, don't try to get out of it, no, Michael. Listen, I knew my, you were going to do One of my big pet peeves is I hate to jump into sequels if I haven't seen the first ones. But I think for this series, I'm going to make You'll an exception. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to miss the first the first Shades of Grey. What is it? It's Shades of Grey 1, 50 Shades of Grey, and then what's this one? I don't know. It's it's like 50 Shades of something. We're going to Sinopolis, so the chairs will be comfortable. few people might have to sit on the floor. I might be one of them. You might be one of them, I too. I fucking Michael, sure as hell won't be one of them. <laughs> you sure. you maybe, Chivalry is dead. Michael, you might have to sit on the floor. I'm uh, not joking. I will leave the theater. Bring a Barefoot Dreams blanket. There is there is nothing I would do not do more than sit on the floor during Fifty Shades of Grey. It, it's not happening, you know. Sorry. <laughs> You'll get popcorn. I don't care. You could. You could. I don't care what you give me. It ain't happening. Um, so yeah. Okay. Well, it's gonna be fun tomorrow, you guys. I can't wait to hang out. I feel like this is the perfect meetup. Uh, we get to watch a movie, drink a little rosé. We're bringing goodie bags with Valentines in them for you guys. And it's going to be fun. Slip some woo in there. We slipped some woo in there. Yeah. Uh, all right. So it's really cool to watch the Skinny Confidential secret Facebook group expand. You guys are hanging out in different cities without me, which is awesome and amazing. You guys have met a lot of friends. I think someone held a Skinny Confidential New York meetup the other day. If you want to host a meetup in your own city, all you have to do is go in the group, join the group, and then search the subgroup that has to do with your own state. Um, I think it's really awesome that a bunch of you are meeting each other in that group. It just makes me so happy. I can't even tell you. To become a member, you're just going to search the Skinny Confidential in the search bar, and then you just click join. And I go through and I approve to make sure there's no guy sneaking in. We do have one guy, but that's a whole different story. His name's Gary. But basically, Gary's our mascot. So it's a bunch of women and then Gary. Um, a lot of you guys are brides in the secret Facebook group. I've seen a lot of people that are getting married or they're engaged. So I think that Zola is perfect for you. As you know, Zola is the way to go when it comes to the wedding registry and wedding planning process. We've talked about this a lot. 
because we used it for our wedding and it was a total lifesaver and really streamlined everything. I feel like it's also a big thing because like I said, over 300,000 couples have used Zola, which is nuts. Basically, Zola is everything you love about your favorite department store. Plus, it's also a medley of things like the honeymoon fund, fitness classes, wine subscriptions, and so many different creative ideas. What did you do with our honeymoon fund? Do you think I'll ever be able to share in that honeymoon fund or did you just... We still have it. We haven't gone on a honeymoon. I'm waiting for you. It's not It's not in, put into shoes or something that TikTok. I don't know. TikTok. What, like, what's happening on Valentine's Day? Hopefully, I'm going to unwrap a honeymoon. Um, no, we have a honeymoon fund waiting for us. We did a honeymoon fund and we also did a charity where we donated um, money to colon cancer research and to the Chihuahua Fund, which was very on brand for us. They have over 500 top brands, tons of experiences, and even cash funds. For our wedding, I didn't want to hassle my guests, so Zola took the hassle out of it. It kind of makes the whole thing seamless for everyone. Super easy for couples and their guests. You guys should also know the customer service team really goes above and beyond to help you pick out the ideal gift for the couple. Also, there's this thing they offer called group gifting, which allows a bunch of guests to contribute to a huge gift. So fun. Well, it makes it easier on the guests too, I feel like. You know, you don't want to have, like, it's already a hassle. Listen, I know it's your wedding. And I, listen, I felt the same way. My sister's wedding's coming up. Our wedding was there. And, and it's an important day. But, you you know, it is an imposition on people. And you want to make it easy on them and make it so they enjoy it. I know I'm, I'm, brides are going to come out and rip my face off for this. But it's true. Like, you know, like, think about when you have to go to weddings and so. So you want I to like be to nice. make it easy. But, yeah, like, Zola makes it easy. You're going to get some good gifts. You know, you skip all the, you know, toaster ovens Nitty and all that gritty. stuff. Yeah. As the bride and groom, you can even personalize your registry with photos and notes about why you want certain gifts. I love this. I love a story. I love personalization. You guys know that about me. Of course, Zola does price matching and free shipping every day, which is kind of insane. I also think it was fun how our registry automatically integrated into their Zola wedding website so the guests could seamlessly shop and get all the details they needed in one place. It was efficient, which you know I love. We also did like a newsletter blast where we sent kind of the whole thing to everyone and it went out and they could just go on the site and easily shop. So that's an idea too. Yeah. And for those for those of my friends that didn't get me something, I see you on that list. Yeah. He's like Santa Claus making a list. I make a checking list. Checking it twice. Yeah, a lot of naughties on that list. (laughs) Taylor. To get even more excited, Zola has a customizable checklist and guest list manager. Best part, though, is Michael and I even manage the whole situation on our phones because they have a quick, easy-to-use app. That's a lie. You didn't manage it. I managed it. (laughs) Just me. Super quick. To sign up with Zola and receive a $50 credit towards your registry, go to Zola.com slash skinny. That's Zola.com slash skinny for all your registry needs. That's Zola, Z-O-L-A dot com slash skinny. Go stock it. You will love it, especially if you're a bride. All right, all right, all right. Let's get into the him and her tip of the week. Okay, so we haven't had like a businessy podcast in a while and it's been it's starting to be requested so i think this is a great tracy it's going to be a great episode and because of that i wanted to give a businessy or let, let, it could be applied to anything but let's say it's like a businessy tip of the week so we, in our in our podcast facebook group 
um, we're getting ready to possibly do some solo episodes and really niche down and figure out like if we were each to do a solo episode, what topics we you would want us to cover, you as the listener. And a lot of the topics that are coming through for me is um, business and, and niche subjects and businesses. But one of those questions um, that's being requested a lot is multitasking and how to do multiple businesses. And I just, I want to make sure that I'm giving out the right message here when we're doing this podcast or or when I'm giving advice, I actually think it's a huge mistake when you're starting out to try to do multiple things and run multiple businesses. I think at this point in my career, I'm able to juggle a couple more things because I've built out a really solid team under me um, and with me. And so I'm able to do to to delegate my time and be, and be involved in different projects. But that was definitely not the case in the beginning. So if you're just starting out and I think a lot of very successful entrepreneurs and business owners and operators will tell you the same thing. When you're just starting out, whether that's a blog or it's a podcast or it's a business, whatever it is, I actually am not a fan of doing multiple things. I'm a fan of doing one thing and really, really honing in and getting good at that thing. There's an amazing book called The One Thing by Gary Keller that basically uh, supports this theory that I'm talking about, which is basically focusing in on one thing day after day until you know that one thing it snowballs and becomes a huge thing. And then I think it, you're, it's able to, you're able to branch out. So kind of to niche down here a little bit and get more specific. When you're first starting out, you know, you're excited and you, maybe you're starting a blog and then you start to get a little bit of traction. Like, okay, this blog's going really well, so maybe I'll, I'll create a makeup line. And then that's going really well, so maybe I'll create like a health line. And then I'll create like an ebook product. Like, this is very common when, I, when we go and speak and when I, when I speak to a lot of you saying like, hey, I have this, 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 and this going on. And while I want to be supportive and say, hey, good for you, a lot of the time I find myself wishing that I'd said, hey, get rid of a lot of the, the majority of those things and focus on the one thing that you can truly maximize and, and profit from. For example, we take Lauren, she really, really focused in on her blog in the beginning, blog content to a specific audience. And since then, it's been able to umbrella into different things. Me, like when my first, my first career was JetBed and we really, for the first like four years of my life or my business life, just focused in on building out JetBed. And from there, I was able to go into marketing and then I was able to go into different investments and, and, and obviously some other businesses since then. But I think if I would have tried to do all these things out the gate, everything would have failed. So I think when you're starting out, it's super, super important to really, really hone in on that one thing to start with and build that up so that you have a foundation to build other things if eventually you want to do those things. So I just want to make sure that I'm putting that message out there and I'm not confusing people into thinking they have to do multiple things all at once. I think multitasking can be very, very dangerous and destructive. So my tip of the week is when you're starting out, focusing on that one thing. And then even when you start to branch into other things, make sure the other thing, the first thing is, is running smoothly and operating. I don't want to say on its own, but running like a well-oiled machine before you take on another task. You don't want to be juggling 50 things like an octopus. It's just not going to work. Great tip, honey. Okay. So my tip, since we're talking business has to do with my favorite thing ever, which is branding. You guys know I love branding. If I wasn't a blogger, I think I would be a branding specialist. Maybe an interior designer, but probably a brand specialist. Um, There's this book that I read that I featured on The Skinny Confidential, but I want to talk about it on this episode because I think it's a book that everyone should go out and get. You can find it on Amazon. We'll leave it in the show notes. It's called The Brand Gap. 
And I just think it really lays out business strategy and design of designing a brand. Um, And just to give you a couple spark notes, I kind of wanted to just lay it out for you before you buy it. And when you do buy it, you'll get more information out of these spark notes. So the first note is a brand is not what you say it is. It's what the consumer says it is. Don't you agree, Michael? It's the emotional reaction individuals feel when they see your brand and listen to your audience. So with the Skinny Confidential, I have always wanted you guys to use the Skinny Confidential as a resource. And when you leave, I want you to leave what you don't like, take what you like, apply it to your own life. And I want you to feel inspired to be the best version of yourself in an unapologetic way. Um, I think that that was really important for me. It wasn't just for you guys to leave with my outfit deets or, uh, you know, what I was eating or how my hair looked. I wanted you to leave with something valuable that you could apply to your own life. So next spark note, a branding has nothing to do with data, numbers, and Excel sheets, nothing at all. It's about the people who experience the brand, not the numbers. So stop looking at the data, look to the people. I've always done that the whole time I've had the skinny confidential. I just think constantly being buried in your analytics is really counterproductive Um, and and looking at your following count every second. I think it's all about the community. I always say that you should focus on the audience that you have, even if it's five people, you should focus on serving them. And from there, they'll go out and tell more people as opposed to taking those five people, ignoring them and trying to get more people. The next spark note is a typical design has four goals to identify, inform, entertain, or persuade. However, when it comes to branding, there is a fifth to differentiate. This comes down to strategy, guys. So why do you like Nike over other shoe companies? Because honestly, Nike's done an incredible job of differentiating its brand. Um, And if you look at a blog or a blog that you really love, why do you like them over other blogs? I think that it's really important to stand out in the market and do something different. Um, You know, I I was uh, talking to someone the other day and I think to be successful, you know, you do need to look at other people's formulas and maybe some people will copy those formulas. But to be remarkably successful, you need to do something different that's down the road, that's, you know, being ahead of the trend. Another one, which I feel like this one applies to the Skinny Confidential, is brands can become small tribes if they're done right. Your vibe attracts your tribe. Community is key. Community to me is everything. It's always been everything. It's why I do what I do. I've told you guys this when the Secret Facebook group launched. It made me emotional because it's what I've been working on so hard the whole entire time I've been blogging. Uh, And I can see in that Facebook group that the vibe has attracted the the tribe. You guys are so cool and amazing and you guys are all vibing off each other's energy. So if you're building a brand, make sure that you are building that tribe and that community. It takes a village to build a brand. So you got to take the ego out of it. Not one person can develop a powerful lasting brand without a strong team of people around the brand's message. This is you guys. Collaboration is so important. I talk about that a lot. Of course, engagement. I'm always, you know, looking at what you guys are doing and talking and engaging. It's my favorite part of the job, my favorite part of the gig, meeting you guys. It's awesome. Okay, so I'm going to give you two more, and then I think you should all go read the book if you're business owners or bloggers. Uh, The next one is to pick a strong icon and a name. So criteria for a good name is appropriateness, easy spelling, punctuation, likability, and protectability. So keep that in mind when you're picking your name. Lastly, I'll leave you with this because I think it's important you guys read the book, but 
a brand should always lead with authenticity. Authenticity is a word that's completely overused, but it is true. Your brand should lead with that. Your audience feels that. Your community feels that. And that is important. So check out the book. It's called The Brand Gap. It's super cheap. I want to say it's like $9 on Amazon. Um, We'll leave it in the show notes. But I also have to give a shout out to another book, which I'm in, which is called Crushing It by Gary Vaynerchuk. I am so excited because he featured me as one of the entrepreneurs in the book. Gary is a huge, huge inspiration for me. Um, We've been on his show before. He's been on our show. And he just wrote this book about a bunch of people who were scared, just like you, who had obligations, just like you, who were told they were being foolish or reckless or irresponsible, just like you. And they did it anyway. And they reaped the rewards. And he basically showcases a bunch of different entrepreneurs in his book and gives you so many incredible tips on how to build a brand in 2018 on social media. So make sure you check out those two books. I'll leave them both in the show notes. And with that, let's meet Tracy. Tracy D'Annunzio is the founder and CEO of Tradesy, the world's leading peer-to-peer marketplace for women's fashion. As an artist turned entrepreneur, Tracy bootstrapped the business in its early days by renting out her bedroom on Airbnb and sleeping on the couch. Wow. Today, Tradesy has a team of 100 team members and 5 million customers that have attracted funding from top-tier investors like Richard Branson and Tim Ferriss. So I just want to throw this out there. I actually have had my closet on Tradesy since 2013, guys, which is nuts. Um, You can shop my closet. It's a bunch of my clothes. Um, It's tradesy.com slash closet slash Lauren Everett's. If you also Google the Skinny Confidential Tradesy, a post will pop up. I find Tradesy super easy to use. It's so user-friendly. And they also have some really rare and unique pieces that you can shop. Honestly, I found some really, really good finds on there. So go check it out, tradesy.com slash closet slash Lauren Everett's, or you can just shop tradesy.com. With that, let's welcome Tracy to the show. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Tracy, how did you get started? We want to hear the whole nitty gritty. Okay. Um, Well, I was a a painter and artist. And after the 2008 crisis, nobody was buying my paintings. Um, And I had an idea. It was it was actually an art concept to create this uh, universal online closet for women where we could all share our clothes like, like having millions of sisters. Um, And so I got really inspired to just create that and started building it at my kitchen table on my laptop quickly found out that I needed to hire or contract or beg some people to help me build it Um, but that was the original concept for Tradesy it was an art project about connecting women and our closets so that we could feel like we had a a, a support network of sisters. And then I quickly recognized that it had some good business potential um, and started looking at it that way as well through that lens. I read somewhere that while you were building it, you were actually airbnb out your bedroom. <laughs> yes. While you were staying in the house. Well, okay. So I was teaching myself how to 
design and code and market and all of that. And I got really obsessed and I would uh, fall asleep on my couch with my laptop on my chest like every night. Um, and then one night I saw this ad on Facebook for this new thing at the time called Airbnb. And I thought, gosh, I'm not even using my bedroom anymore. I just fall asleep on the couch working every night. Um, and I had a well-located apartment. And I thought people would want to stay there. So I went for it and ultimately ended up renting out my bedroom for a really long time. Then my roommate moved out, rented out her bedroom, and earned enough money to be able to stay focused on the business and even invest a little bit into growing it. No, I think it's it's extremely like inspiring to hear about because I think a lot of people that listen to this show, they think, okay, I need all of this money to start moving on my idea. Yeah. And I think you're a perfect example of someone's like, okay, you just got started with what you had at the time. And as you, as you evolved, you, you know, you brought in the other pieces and you brought in some, some money to fund the business, but it wasn't impossible to start the business with what you had at the time. Totally. I think it's so easy to, and, and I was almost so ignorant that it was bliss. Um, I didn't realize how much money it really would take to build something like this. So I jumped in with both feet. And then as I encountered phases where it required more capital, I figured it out. Um, but you don't need anything to get started except the will. Um, and I'll say enough money to pay for your basic living expenses. And for me, Airbnb helped to create that opportunity. I took side jobs. I, I, I really hustled for a couple of years just to make rent and oftentimes didn't make rent and had those like cute eviction notices on my <laughs> door. Um, but it was all part of the journey. And I, I think you can start wherever you are. What would your advice be for someone that's listening that has a big idea like you had? Wh where would you start? Oh, that's the hardest, right? Um, you, you really break it down into pieces and then smaller pieces and smaller pieces in terms of what are your first steps. And I would say something I didn't do, but that I think is really useful. And um, when I work with budding entrepreneurs now, I encourage them to do this is um, create a deck and a financial forecast as if you were going to go pitch investors about the next five years of your business. And you can Google all of this. What does a great deck look like for, you know, early stage investor pitching? What does a good financial forecast look like? And it's not that you'll even necessarily take those out into the world and use them to raise capital. It's that the exercise itself is so clarifying to help you understand where you're going if your business works, at what point you can expect it to work. And that will help you set realistic uh incremental goals along the way there's a really good article by guy kawasaki have you mm -hmm. heard of that yeah. basically shows you how to write a pitch deck and exactly. i think it helps you frame it out it's basically what is it 10 slides exactly and then that kind of forces you to say okay what are what's my real answers here what's my what's my problems what are, what are the solutions um you, you touched on something you, you said in the beginning you didn't really know what it took right you didn't know how much capital it took and how many resources it take I think that that can be a blessing in some ways. Like if you yeah. if you knew everything you know now, do you think you would have got started at the time? Oh, I would have been terrified. I, and I may not have started. I may have thought, well, that just sounds impossible. It's just not achievable. Um, I was, again, just ignorance is bliss. I thought, um, gosh, if I just had $50,000... I could really build this thing. And I can tell you that almost 
nine years after starting on this, um, we've raised $80 million in venture capital financing. So my 50,000 estimate was like slightly off. Yeah, a little um, bit. <laughs> and, and I really had no idea what it meant to build a, a business at scale. Um, but you, you can learn that as you go, because no matter how much you know on day one, you've still got to put the first brick in the building and then the second, and you are equipped to do that. So let's talk a little bit about bootstrapping. Hmm. I think a lot of people now, you, you know, they go and get venture money right off the gate mm-hmm. and maybe they don't have a lot of experience. And so when you do that, you kind of, you start hiring and scaling your team immediately. And then maybe that founder doesn't know what it takes to be in the sales department or the customer service or get, your, you know, basically get your hands dirty. And next thing you know, you've spent a ton of money. You don't really know where it all went. You don't really understand how it got spent. What do you think the benefits of bootstrapping a business like this are? Yeah, that's exactly right what you said. I mean, the the three or so years that I spent in pure bootstrap mode taught me so much. And, you know, it's hard to tell someone who's starting out stuff like this because if some if I thought money was an option and investment money was an option when I was bootstrapping I would have gone and gotten it um I just you know I didn't have a network um I didn't have an education in this stuff I, I didn't know any investors so it wasn't accessible to me to go out and raise capital and that the fact that I was forced to learn how to build and do every single job on the team myself and and I did them all pretty poorly. <laughs> but when it came time to hire people to do things like marketing or design, I, I had enough fluency to understand uh, what I should expect from them and where I wanted them to be better than I was. So yeah, that education is irreplaceable. Is there a book or a resource that you would recommend to someone that's looking to raise capital? Oh gosh, um, there are so many now. There weren't as many back then. Uh, the classics are... Um, I think it's called Venture Hacks uh, with a the Brad Feld sort of guide to raising. And now there's also a lot of great info um, on AngelList as well. Uh, but it's really changed even since I was in the, the early stage trenches. Like now you can Google what it's like to raise an early financing, an angel round, a friends and family round, a, a seed round from VCs and find abundant information. So um I was, I'm old enough to remember when, if you wanted to know something, you had to like go to a library. It sounds ancient. I can't even believe it. Um, but for me, part of why learning how to do all this stuff was so exciting was that we suddenly gained access to all the information in the world um, when we got the internet, when we got the mobile internet. And so there's never been a greater opportunity to teach yourself anything than there is right now. And I think it's easy to lose track of that and all the noise of the connectedness of the internet, but Google it. Like it's all there for oh you. We, we're having a conversation about this in the car because there's um, a couple people we know that, you know, they say, well, this doesn't come naturally to me. My theme of my entire life has been figure it out. Mm-hmm. You find a way to exactly. figure it out. And exactly. it doesn't matter if it comes naturally to you or not. You yeah. just got to figure it out. There's not been one thing in my whole entrepreneurial life that I've known when I started right and that's the fun of it right Right. like I I I lived in Mexico for a few years and I I always look back on the first year as 
so much fun because I was both living a life and learning the language at the same time. So my brain was really on fire all the time because I wasn't just doing what I was doing. I was doing what I was doing in a new language while learning the language. And that's sort of what entrepreneurship is like. So there's a lot of um, humility and strength required because you are in the unknown and also being asked to be a leader. So that's a really scary place to be. You know, you're, you're saying I'm capable of running this business and also I don't know a lot of stuff. Um, but for me, at least, I've, I've also I've always been so curious and there's never been more access to learning than there is today. I, I had no, I had never used Excel. I have never worked at a company in my life. I was an artist. I got, I had ninth grade math. That was it. Um, never took a business class in my life. Knew nothing about tech. And, you know, we're doing all right. We figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you, you obviously, you've met a lot of successful people now. You're a successful person. You have a lot of mentors. What do you think one quality is in these people that you see consistently um, in order to be entrepreneurial? I think it's that curiosity, for sure. Um, and also a, a high tolerance for chaos and uncertainty. I would say, like, I, I tend to be anxious um, and want to make everything right before I go to sleep at night. You know, if I, I, so I before I started the business, it was like, unless everything was resolved, I didn't feel like I could go to sleep. And um, since starting the business, I've had to really develop a capacity to kind of live in chaos and uncertainty without letting it trigger my anxiety. So I go oh to sleep God. now. It's hard. Oh, my God. It's hard. I, don't, I want you to talk more about living in chaos. I want you to really elaborate on that because I've, I've had to teach myself to do that, too. And it's very hard as a perfectionist. We were talking about this earlier. Mm. How do you kind of manage that? It's very hard because if you're the kind of person who's starting a business, you're probably the kind of person like how I was who wants to, you know, who thinks they can control and fix everything. Um, and then you, you, in order to really run a business well, you actually have to let let the kind of chaos of the puzzle unfold and guide it instead of trying to fit all the pieces together. So if you're trying to fit all the pieces together, you're going to exhaust yourself and create an environment in which teams can't work. Um, in order to allow a team to work and develop, you kind of have to stand back and and be okay with a lot of things constantly being unresolved. Sounds like you're parenting. Um, That's, it's similar, though, because you, so you have similar. to step out and let the child make the mistake it's, and have them learn from it. Yes, and I, I, I don't have kids, and I often think that my parenting instincts go into the team a lot because it really is like having kids. And if you're doing it right your kids need you less and less, right? You're not raising kids well if you teach them to be constantly dependent on you for answers. Um, and so with a team, it is similar. But also within yourself to to be able to withstand all of that uncertainty, it just takes tons of practice. And like talking to yourself and saying like, if it were all tied up and neat and resolved, that would mean I wasn't pushing the boundaries enough. Like if you're innovating and you're stretching, then there's going to be some degree of, of chaos and uncertainty. And if everything is really easy to manage, you might, you're probably staying too safe and not pushing to your highest capacity. You got to get uncomfortable. And that gets extremely oh. boring too. What? <laughs> right? That gets extremely boring when you're just playing it safe. Uh, I would yes. rather try something innovative and, and push the boundaries and crash and burn than just kind of coast along. 
I would too, but then those moments of crash and burn can be really devastating. Um, So you also build up muscles to withstand rejection and failure because those are inevitable along the way. So let's let's talk a little bit about failure. Do you have a particular failure failure in mind that at the time seemed crippling, but Hmm. ended up being a blessing and driving just a success? Oh boy, I have a ton. Um, I can tell you that. After I launched the, the early version of, of Tradesy, which was a, a wedding marketplace, um, I thought at six months in, when we had a couple of customers, I thought, see, this is all going to work. I should start another site. Um, and I started another marketplace for, for baby and kids clothing. And gosh, that just, I, I took all of my pro- like early profits, money that could have paid the rent, and I put it into this new business because I thought I was going to be able to run two businesses and grow them both at the same time and that just it was so ill-conceived and misguided and it it crashed and burned so spectacularly um so that was an early humbling moment I've had um I I had a moment in 2013 where I was raising money for the company raising our series b financing um and I had three deals on the table that I thought we were going to get all of them and right before Christmas they all fell through I spent Christmas through New Year's in a fetal position, crying and thinking I had ruined the whole thing and let everybody down. Um, And then we came back after the holiday. I said, I'm going to move to Silicon Valley for a few weeks and I'm not coming back without a term sheet. Um, And we were really able to turn it around, became one of the hottest deals in Silicon Valley, got great investors on board, got a better valuation than expected. Um, But yeah, there have been... The moments of failure and rejection and disappointment come fast and hard. And as long as you develop resiliency to get back up out of the fetal position, um, you 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 get enough at-bats to score. It sounds like the theme of your story is resourceful. You got resourceful. Yes. Being resourceful, resilient, all of that, um, I think, is, is key to surviving the entrepreneurial journey. What is Tradesy's why? And how important is that why to you? I've been talking a lot about this on The Skinny Confidential, your why. Yeah, um, it's so important to have a why. And when you lose sight of your why, it really shows in your business. So very simply stated, the why for Tradesy is to create sustainable commerce. So, and I'll, I'll give you the quick backstory on that. Um, I, I mentioned that I lived in Mexico. I also lived in some other places. And when I came back to the States, I was really stricken by how much disposable consumer stuff we were consuming and throwing away. Like I, living abroad in the places I lived, if I was done using something, I found someone to give it to and they valued it. Um, and, and in the States, I had reverse culture shock. It really struck me how much we were just consuming and trashing things. And fast fashion was at its peak. And it was really like myself and all of my friends, we were buying all of these cheap, poor quality goods that I then learned were very were made in ways that were really bad for people and the planet. And we were consuming them like junk food. You know, I'd have... 100 t-shirts in my closet, but nothing to wear. And I thought, gosh, this is really, it's unsustainable in so many ways. It's unsustainable for us as women. We're being sold garbage, <laughs> you know? We, and when we wear it, we don't feel good. We think we're going to, and then we don't. It's this disappointing ex- customer experience of, of owning these types of disposable goods. Um, and then we're we're participating in a consumer culture that isn't, 
supporting people or supporting the environment. I mean, fashion became one of the most top five most polluting industries in the world over the last 20 years. And I thought, this is so silly. My friends and I, when we go to each other's closets, we always feel like we found treasure. Um, there's so much stuff already in the world. Yep. If we could just use these supercomputers in our pockets to connect all the people and all the stuff to each other, we wouldn't have to go to the mall and empty our wallets and come home with piles of disposable crap. And maybe we'd be more thoughtful about what we buy knowing that it's going to go to someone else and have a second lifetime and maybe even a third. And so the why for Tradesy is to connect women who make or influence 85% of all consumer purchasing decisions so we determine what consumer behavior looks like. And our why is that we connect those women to create an entirely separate peer-to-peer economy, first around fashion and then ultimately around all consumer goods so that we create a world where demand for disposable goods goes down and the life cycle of products is extended and everybody has access to really high quality consumer goods. That's a why. That's a why. I like that's it. That's the why. That I was like a little it. long, it's but funny. that's the why. With, with the political climate, a lot of people, you know, they really get down on oil and gas. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's fine. But people don't realize how uh, traumatic, you know, the clothing industry is on the planet. Like they, there are so many problems in this industry that causes so many issues for this planet. People just don't think about it. They think oil and gas and the, the typical new, the talking point things. But... It's the clothing so industry true. is crazy. I mean, you've got oil and gas, you've got um, industrial agriculture, and fashion's right up there. They, some, some say it's the third most polluting industry. Some say it's the fifth. I say either way, like we could do better with it. For so sure. what is a perfect customer experience for someone that comes on Tradesy? Like walk me through it. Yeah. Um, so as uh, the perfect customer experience is that you – Maybe you're looking for something you really want, like a Chanel bag. Like my Paul Green white loafers that I can't find anywhere in like a seven and a half. I don't ask for much. Loafers. I feel like we just take those to a cobbler and they're going to be like new anyway. Okay, Michael, right? get on it. Are you on it? <laughs> yeah, let me find the local cobbler. Um, yeah, so you would you would come to us, probably find us when you're looking for something that you want, maybe like a luxury um, bag, etc. Um, and then be pleasantly surprised to see that it's up to 90% off the retail price because everything on our platform is pre-owned some of our um some of the products for sale on trades and we have millions and millions of fashion items for sale some of them are pre-owned but never used if that makes sense and every woman knows this like you bought that amazing dress and never wore it or you got a bag or a pair of shoes and carried them once or twice so we have a lot of um pre-owned but like new and i have to give you guys a shout out right now because you guys gifted me the most beautiful beautiful white Chanel purse (gasps) and it looks brand new and I still have it and I still use it and it looks brand new. I mean, you would never know it's used. That's the thing about these really high quality luxury goods is that they are more durable. They last, they don't look used or feel used. And, and that's sort of the whole point of owning something high quality is that after being used for a time, they retain their, integrity their value they they appear like new um so yeah i mean i have a a vintage chanel bag that is just starting to show a little bit of signs of wear on the leather and even that i think is beautiful because it's had a life you know it is yeah how has your business evolved like if you could look step back and look at it from the beginning to now oh i think initially um 
we were focused on um, creating a certain type of customer experience. And as we've grown, we've we've learned um, how much we can leverage technology and data to create a, a marketplace system that is truly, truly scalable. Um, so starting off, I just wanted to bring this experience to women and see what kind of impact we could make. And now uh, we have ambitions to create groundbreaking technology that enables the peer-to-peer marketplace to really scale and thrive. So I think in that way, um, internally, the work we do and, and how we think about the business has changed. When you when you were developing this business, you you inevitably have to as you as you grow, you have to come up against the eBay's of the world. Mm-hmm. What is your take on that, and how do, how were you guys able to navigate that competition? Yeah, competition's a big thing in in our category. So eBay's always always been there. Yep. Maybe not always, like not since the beginning of time, but they've been there for a long time. Um, and what we learned when we started was that less than three percent of women who shopped online had ever sold online. So we knew that for whatever reason, eBay's platform wasn't turning all the women who shop into sellers. Yeah, okay. and and when we talked to women, we found out that that was mostly because they found three things difficult, um, listing, shipping, and returns on the selling side. So we decided to solve for that. But um, but on but we didn't just have competition from eBay because we saw, we saw Tradesy as a way to fill in something that eBay might not be providing to the market at that time. Which I think is super smart. A lot of people think they have to come up with this brand new idea that's never the world's never seen. And you could just basically take something that they have seen and greatly improve upon it. Totally. And and think about it through the eyes of a different customer. Like I think traditionally we know that a lot of the products and services we use were conceived of by men and built by men and therefore end up feeling like they were built for men as well. So that was the opportunity that I saw. I felt like, gosh, eBay just doesn't speak to me as a woman. This experience doesn't feel geared towards me. Um, and I thought there was an opportunity to create an alternative really specifically for the way that women wanted to sell and shop. But competition is so interesting because um, it turned out to not be eBay that was our competition. It turned out that this idea of fashion resale online uh, was having a moment right around the time that I thought of it. I wasn't the only one. If you have a good idea, a lot of times... You are not the only one having Somebody that else has idea. It, yeah. yeah, like it's when an idea's time has come, something really interesting happens, and you see um, pockets of people in different cities, totally unrelated, coming up with the same ideas. And early on, I would see competitors emerging, and I would say, "Did they like hack my computer? How could we have thought of the same thing at the same time?" And and that's actually not uncommon. I've learned. Um, but we ended up having 23 venture-backed competitors in this category. Wow. So the category became really... And how many of those 23, though, are still around today? There are four of us left here in the U.S., um, major players. There are a handful of smaller ones, but I would say that the, the field has narrowed down to four kind of major players in the market um, from that 23. And so there remains competition, but... Um, Fewer, bigger competitors. Have you today. ever heard of a guy named Bill Gross? Yeah, totally. Idea Lab. Uh-huh. Yeah, he did that. He did a speech, um, and he basically said that a lot of people they they misunderstand the most important uh, trait in a successful business, and it's timing. A lot of people think it's funding or the idea. Or it's timing, 
And I think, you know, it's, it's hard to get that right. A lot of it comes down to luck, but a lot of it also comes down to like listening to what the consumers are saying and, and seeing what other people are doing and waiting for that time. And if your timing's off, even if it's the best idea in the world and you're the best team, you can be in a lot of trouble. It's completely true. I mean, you can look at our category and other categories and see that um, other people thought of these concepts, tried them out, but the market wasn't ready wasn't or ready. the technology platforms weren't mature enough or the ways in which you know peer-to-peer shipping could be enabled were not um, fast enough to really meet the needs of the market. And so those, bi- I mean... A great example of this is YouTube. There were a ton of streaming video services on the internet. Um, a close friend and early supporter of Tradesy uh, uh, had one of these businesses, so I know. And it was like, he put streaming video on the internet almost before anybody. But it also didn't matter because the market early. wasn't ready. Yeah. Talk yep. to me about your morning and nightly routines. I'm obsessed to hear about, you know, successful, happy people and what they do in the mornings and at the night. Oh do you like goodness. a routine situation? I don't. So I'm still like a bohemian weirdo and I don't like routines. And I used to listen to um, CEOs talk about that and they'd be like, I wake up at 5 a.m. and I do a one hour workout and then I check my email and I'm like, I might if I don't have a meeting like roll out at 9.30 and lay in bed doing emails for an hour, you know. Um, I actually don't like to have a routine. The only thing that's consistent is morning coffee. Um, And then at night... Sparkling water, you said too. Sparkling water, (laughs) only fizzy beverages and caffeinated beverages. That's like the only rule. Um, And I like to stay up late and work when the world is quiet. And so... No, I, not, Lauren yeah. and I have been going back and forth on the conversation. Like, I like to get up early when the world's quiet. She likes to get up late, but I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think it's like whatever works for you as an individual. And what I've learned over time is you can't stifle creativity. And if that's when she gets creative, if it's late at night, then... You told me I have to get out of the bedroom, though. Well, <laughs> well there's a difference. I said, like, it's hard to sleep with the keys, like, clicking next to you. And I don't know if she's got, like, giant fingers or something. It's just, <laughs> She's slamming these things. Like... Last night, I was up until, like, 3 a.m., which is probably a bit excessive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I totally understand what you're saying. It's just silent at night. Um, and there's something about I'm the type of person that, like, I have to wrap my head around things. And I just procrastinate the whole entire day until I absolutely have to fucking get it done. And there's no other option. And all of a sudden, it's like go time. Super same. <laughs> Super same. Yeah, I think that happens with all creative people. I think, and you can't. Who am I to stop it? I'm not, you know. So yeah. you were in Tim Ferriss's book, yeah. Tribe of Mentors, uh, or Tools of Titans. I was in Tools of Titans. Tools, Tools of, Titans. of Titans. Okay, and he's an investor. What is yes. the best advice he's given you that you just always think about? Oh gosh, what I a know. Good you're question. like, let me pull out my scroll. Yeah, he's <laughs> given me so much good advice. It's hard to even uh, narrow it down. Um, I would say, um, he helped me think through a bunch of, um, branding and messaging early on that I, um, I don't think I was seeing clearly enough. Tim just has an incredible knack for, um, zooming out and distilling down messages into their most powerful form. So when he first invested, we spent a bunch of time kicking around, you know, how do we talk about tradesy and I think some of the insights he shared were not not just the insights he shared but the questions he asked me about our brand really um, stimulated my creativity and allowed me to stimulate the creativity of my team 
His questions, man. Yeah, right. Goes He's super a master deep with questions. at questions. He really is. What are two resources? It can be anything hmm. that you continuously look to. Could be anything. Could be like, or not even. Maybe it could not be even. A speech, uh, people, anything. Blog, book, podcast, anything. Hmm. Or even a quote, just something that you look to constantly in your life, like to get inspired or to get motivated. I'm really into um, a lot of artists and like historical figures. I look, I look to Frida Kahlo all the time. Um, she was such a unique woman with her with a really unique story and lived really honestly and bravely um in her truth so i get really inspired by her um and then also i have just such a phenomenal set of investors and advisors that i keep in touch with and learn from all the time um and they've really um they've really shown me how little i know so when you get to hang out with people who are in their 60s and have done what you're doing 50 times over and have been really successful at it, it's incredibly educational and also really humbling. Um, and so I, I like my, my older, more experienced advisors a lot, and I draw a lot of humility and learnings from my What's relationships. What's that old saying? It's like... When a man with money meets a man with experience, we'll use a woman in this term. Mm-hmm. The man with the man with the money ends up getting the experience, and the man with the experience ends up getting the money. Um, woman. Yeah, <laughs> it could be. I I also heard one early on that really served me well. When you want money, ask for advice, and when you want advice, ask for money. Ooh, that's that a good really one. works. It's a great thing, especially with early investors. Like you don't go in and say. Hey, I need money. You go in and say, hey, I'm working on this thing and I've got a few problems that I'm trying to solve. What are your ideas? Because until an investor feels engaged and part of it and like they can contribute to solutions and to the vision, it's hard for them to get excited about putting their money in. Yeah, That's a lot fantastic of people, advice. A lot of people don't understand that it's a lot of the time it's not about the money or the check. It's about do they feel passionate? Do they feel excited? Do they want to be a part? Like, you know, for, for a guy or, or a venture group or whatever that has that type of the funds to invest, how interesting could writing a check be, right? You, totally. they, they have to be passionate about something. And I think a lot of people make a mistake where they go in and they say, uh, you know, you're going to write me this check and I'm going to give you this money back. And it's like, they're you, already doing that on their own, which is why they have the money in the first place. Yes. You you have to demonstrate that there's going to be a return on their investment. That's sort of the table stakes. But in my experience, the best investors are the ones who believe they have some unique perspective or value to share with you that's going to help you accelerate your business. So when you think about who you're going to meet with or talk to, it's like, how do you leverage their unique experience or expertise to help build your business because that's when an investor gets excited they're like i think i can make a return on this and also some of the hard-won knowledge that i've developed is going to be a competitive advantage in this business that's interesting that you say that because you were talking to me before we started podcasting about achievement and how sometimes people think when they achieve certain things they feel fulfilled Mm -hmm. and and i was saying oh yeah that reminds me of tony robbins and tony robbins says that um, the the best part of life is contribution. So yeah. as an investor, it would make sense that they want to contribute as opposed to just write a check. Completely, completely. Um, 
I think there's, we were talking about this earlier, there's like a, when you're ambitious and you're starting, it seems like once I hit certain benchmarks of success, I'm going to be like, oh, I made it. I feel amazing. And at least in my experience, and I've heard other people say this, when you actually get there, it's oddly less fulfilling than you would have expected. And then it turns out that the only thing to do um, at least for me, that ends up being fulfilling is to take the knowledge and the experience that you've been lucky enough to access and use it to make a contribution to um, other people. I love it. And, yeah. and we read in your bio that it says that your team is so important to you. Yes. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, totally. Um, I, I didn't, when I started the business, I didn't consider the part of leading a business in which you become an employer. Um, and what a great responsibility that is to the people who work for you, to society. Um, you know, you're shaping the work experience of a large number of people and, uh, whether you, you know, treat them with dignity and respect, compensate them fairly, et cetera, um, starts to become, at least for me, it became really central, really important. And we really strive, even though we're crazy startup and we're always running really fast and there's always so much work to be done we do our best to make sure that we're being really fair to our team and then I mean there's nothing more rewarding than watching them grow and excel and achieve so um, I think we've worked really hard to create an environment where they could do that and then seeing it happen is just the ultimate well we love sam and ashton <laughs> <laughs> sam and ashton who were who were among the very first here we've been in in business as tradesy for almost six years now um and sam and ashton both came in like the first year or so and they got me watermelon jerky when i came in here do you remember that i'll never forget that they had the watermelon jerky lined up what's watermelon jerky oh my god you gotta what? try it what it's what? so good. It's like, so basically it's one ingredient and it's dried watermelon and there's nothing else in it. And it's in jerky strips and you get it and it tastes like fruit snacks, but all it is is just dehydrated watermelon. That sounds amazing, although not as amazing as what I thought it was, which was beef jerky watermelon flavor. That sounds good. That sounds, I, I could get on board with that. <laughs> Maybe That's another either, yeah, yeah that right? sounds good. <laughs> watermelon glazed beef jerky. What is some bad advice you've heard along the way? We've talked about good advice. What's something that you're just like, no? Oh, there's so much of it. <laughs> there's just so much of it. Where do we start? And how do you navigate it? Um, that's, Knowing what you know now. Obviously, yeah. it's got to kind of put yourself back a little bit you know take yourself back to a different time oh gosh I mean I I will say in the I feel like maybe I've mentally blocked it but in the early stages especially you'll get a lot of bad advice um and the how do you discern it it's it's really hard um I I I think it's important to be constantly soliciting feedback and advice from everyone you meet like if you're an entrepreneur and you're not pitching to strangers on the street like you got to do more of that um all the feedback is valuable but you will get what i think of as feedback whiplash where two seemingly competent you know smart people will tell you to do the exact opposite thing and i don't have a a, a miracle answer for how to deal with that i think that staying in touch with your own intuition is very important and and hard to do when you're getting a lot of advice um but doing that matters and then remembering that there are no absolute truths you know nobody who's giving you advice has a crystal ball if they did 
they'd be a lot richer and probably not hanging out with you. <laughs> but <laughs> you it's know? also important not to just ask your mom or your dad or your or your best friend. Totally. Get out and solicit all the feedback you can find. And then maybe sometimes there are patterns in the feedback where you go, oh, gosh, four people said this now. Maybe I should really listen to it. Um, sometimes something will just resonate with you and you'll kind of know it's true. And other times advice will feel a little wrong to you. And I would say the only, the best you can do is to listen to that and to keep, to do something, whether it's meditation or exercise, whatever you do that keeps you in touch with you. Um, and, and keep tuning into your intuition and trusting it. Doesn't mean it's always right. It just means you don't, you don't have any other way to navigate And I think it. that doesn't always need to be when you're, I think it can also be while you're evolving the business or the platform. For example, we'll use this podcast, for example. When we started, it was definitely a little rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. Lauren and I were not a the little. best. We're still, still, we're, yeah. You are, your middle you name was interrupt. Yeah, still, <laughs> still improving. Um, but a lot of what we did to get feedback was didn't ask you know people around us we asked the listenership and said yeah. what do you guys like what do you dislike and you know at some points it was painful and you're like oh that that sucks that like, feels like a punch in the stomach mm-hmm. but taking that feedback and saying okay like 10 people are saying the same thing yes let's address it yes i want to end this on a positive note what does success mean to you I heard a quote once um, that has always stuck with me, but I'm not going to attribute it well. Um, uh, So someone, some mystery person said, um, the measure measure of your success is not how much money you make um, or how much power you get when that window of opportunity opens for you. The measure of your success will be when that window of opportunity opens, how many hands can you grab to pull through with you? And I think for me, that's the measure of success. If I can look around the world and see that I had a small part in helping other people get closer to what they want, um, that's really all there is. You'll feel fulfilled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where can everyone find Tradesy? Pimp yourself out. Tradesy.com on the interwebs. Um, but I highly recommend that you download our apps um, for iOS or Android. We're just Tradesy, T-R-A-D-E-S-Y in the app store. Um, unless you hate saving like 90% on designer clothing, in which case in fashion, then don't download our app. And I would also recommend that everybody... Um, Think about becoming a seller. You probably have some stuff in your closet that another woman would value or want. And selling is like a miracle. It's like you're getting money for things that were just sitting there. And you can use it to shop again. Um, Or to start your new business. Or to start your new business. We have women who are selling on Tradesy in order to fund their businesses, which I think is just the last time we met when we came here, there's, there's women that do this full time. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And really like they're able to quit their day jobs and like fully do this full time. Totally. I think we've talked about that in the past on this podcast. That's amazing. Really? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. We had a mom and daughter whose house was in foreclosure and they, they used, um, their great fashion sense to go out and source like under, underpriced clothing and, um, outlets, etc., and then resold at a profit on Tradesy, and they were able to keep their house. Wow, that's amazing! Wow, super cool. That is a cool story. I know. I it's need great. Instagram. Uh, Instagram at Tradesy. T R A D E S Y. Okay. You could also follow me. I'm real boring, but it's just my name at Tracy Denunzio. And I want to s- tell the audience too. I am a seller on Tradesy. I've been a seller on Tradesy for three years, and I have my own online store. Um, it's under Lauren Everett's, right? 
Okay, I just want to make sure. And um, it's a lot of clothes that I've worn once that are really cute. Uh, yeah, so check me out on Tradesy too. So if you go to the site or the app and you type in Lauren Everett, um, your closet will come up. I love it. How, how can we works. get Michael to have a Tradesy situation? His closet Do looks like... Do men go in there? Probably not as much. <laughs> you so need we, something. We don't officially <laughs> have Watches. a men's category yeah. yet, but um, but we find that a lot of our women are listing their men's stuff anyway. So we're going to launch a separate men's category soon just so that everything's in the right place. Um, but you can list already. Please, I can you do careful. something with the men Lauren's thing? His start, closet is start like... No, my your stuff. closet is so absurd. It, I mean, it's just... <laughs> I gotta, yeah, I gotta I've never seen someone with so many boots. Uh, I like boots. I start taking things slowly and bringing it like and like to like give to my brother. He you think notice. I don't know? No, yeah. I do notice. And Michael's like, "Where's my so boots?" And I'm like, "Babe." I notice everything. Cause I'm like, "That was know. my favorite pair," and it's gone. His voice gets like 20 octaves higher though, and he's like, "Where's <laughs> my boots?" <laughs> All right, let's not make this about me. <laughs> Thank you for coming on, Casey. That was so fun. Thank you Thank so you. much for having me. Guys, I'm going to do a giveaway for Gary V's book before I go. All you have to do is tell me about your blog or business on my latest Instagram, and I will pick two of you to win Crushing It by Gary V. Like I said, I'm featured in it. The Skinny Confidential is featured twice, which is super exciting. Uh, just leave your business or your blog on my latest Instagram. I can't wait to see what you're all about. Also, do you want to get a short email from me? Tipsy Thursday is a quick email, kind of like a TSC aperitif with lots of value that includes five tips from me. My favorite song of the week, show, book, wellness tip, random tricks, and obviously lots of easy beauty hacks. To check it out, just go to theskinnyconfidential.com and click Lauren Everett's and then subscribe. Drop your email in the box and you guys will get the next one. It's always something different and fun and fresh. Lastly, if you rate and review the podcast, make sure you screenshot it. Email it to asklauren at theskinnyconfidential.com and we will send you my five top secret beauty hacks straight to your inbox. Thank you guys for listening. We love you. We'll see you next Tuesday. This episode was brought to you by Zola.com. Zola is the wedding company that will do anything for love. They are reinventing the wedding planning process and registry experience to make the happiest moments in couples' lives even happier. From engagement to weddings and decorating your first home, Zola is there, combining compassionate customer service with modern tools and technology. They have an app, so you can do it all off your phone all in the service of love. To sign up with Zola and receive a $50 credit towards your registry, go to Zola.com slash skinny. That is Zola.com slash skinny.